Welcome to Doing Good Business, the podcast where personal and professional development meet. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach and talent acquisition consultant, and I'm joined every week by my co-host, Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, training you to bring positive business practices into any company. Doing Good Business is the podcast that teaches you that doing good business is not only possible, it's profitable. Hi there. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. It's another month, and that means we have another theme. And this theme might be a little bit of a head scratcher, but we are talking this month of March about organizational energy. So when you think about that, if you're not going like, huh, what, what is that weird lady even talking about? You know, if you are, that's totally cool. But everyone knows what energy is. You know, it's been said that your, your energy walks into the room 10 feet in front of you. But an organization has an energy as well. Um, and our guest later this month is going to be uh, Lisa, who is the vice president of HR for a company called Energage, which really does a lot of um, work around the measurement of organizational energy. But Kelly and I say are going to talk about it and, you know, mostly in the form of Kelly leading us through an exercise, which I'm super excited about. But <clears throat> I'm going to don Kelly's definition hat for a second, if you'll let me borrow it, if that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. So there are, you know, and again, just for a resource, we'll link to this. There are four different energy states that can exist in an organization. So I'm going to read them to you. And then I'm going to give you, you know, Laura Heacock, executive coaches, two cents on it. And then we're going to really get into the fun and the meat of the exercise for, um, for this week. So the first kind is productive energy. And that's when an organization has channeled emotions, attentions, and effort towards reaching common goals. So this is like, you're buzzing around, everybody's enthusiastic, people are excited, and they're focused on their work. So that's productive energy. I would say that's probably what most companies want to spend a fair amount of time in. And then mm -hmm. there's comfortable energy, which is also positive. It's characterized by high satisfaction, a feeling of ease, and identifying with the status quo. So this is great, but this is the space that you want to make sure that you're not spending too much time in because then we're not growing, right? If there's not a little exactly. bit of that productive energy, we're stuck and we're just kind of resting on our laurels. So stasis and comfortable energy is good for a while, but we just need to be mindful and make sure that we're moving into productive energy as well. The third kind is resigned inertia, and that results in people mentally withdrawing and being indifferent to the company's goals. So this is a really low energy state. People are not tolerable, um, tolerant of change. There's not a lot of innovation. Maybe you're seeing performance decreasing. So you can tell when people are withdrawing, like maybe your folks are, you know, everybody's on their phones more at their desks or people are chronically late to meetings or people just aren't getting in on time or they're missing deadlines. You might be in that place of resigned inertia. And then finally, corrosive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who hasn't, right? Like that's one, yeah. you know, again, part of, um, you know, one of the things that's really important to me in my work is making sure people don't burn out. And I think resigned inertia is a really close state to burnout, right? We're not enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. We don't have any capacity to change. We don't have any enthusiasm. There's no, you know, positive energy going on in, you know, ourselves or in the organization. Um, and then the final one, and the name really says it all, is corrosive energy. And it can happen at any level, um, but it's very damaging. So this is where you see high levels of anger, distrust, internal conflicts, and things that easily are spreading. So you think of, you know, the rumor mill and how quickly it can spread through an organization, that's an example of corrosive energy. You know, unfortunately, that's probably something that we're all familiar with. I certainly know I am, Kelly. I'm sure you are as well. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking of organizations that are really in that corrosive phase. But so while all of these are great, 
what I want to tell you is that you don't need to know these. Like you don't need to memorize those for, you know, bookmark if it's if it's interesting for you. We'll link to the resource that I um that I found this from in the show notes. But my perspective as, you know, your resident coach and, and your one on one expert is you as a leader are responsible for your energy. The energy that you bring into your team and into the organization, first and foremost, has to come from self-leadership. It has to come from the place where you are aware of your energy, you're mindful of it, and you are managing it in the most positive way possible. Now, that's not saying to pretend that everything is all sunshine and rainbows. We talked about empathy, and you know, I think that empathy mm-hmm. and emotional intelligence are all about being real. But there is a way to communicate with an energy that is going to positively impact your organization, and it all starts with self-leadership. So terms are great. Definitions are great. The four categories are great. Really, at the end of the day, manage yourself, manage your own energy. That's the most important impact you can have as a leader on the the energy of your organization. And I think truer words were never spoke because... As you mentioned earlier, energy, it says, you know, your energy comes in 10 feet before you do. Energy is also transferable. So think of like mm. an electrical current, right? When there's a disruption, you know, then the lights go off. But when there's not, the lights are on because that energy is transferring around. It's running through the circuit. So it's, mm-hmm. it's even so super important that the leader have that good energy to give, right? Otherwise, it's the leader is sending negative energy out into there and that's going to go into the organization. So I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the nicest things that you Kelly Stewart have ever said to me is that the word self-care didn't exist in your vocabulary until a couple of years ago when the universe stuck us together right in each other's yeah. paths. And, you know, and again, like it applies to everyone at every phase, the way that you can maintain and be accountable for and responsible for your own energy and present it in the way that you want to is by taking care of yourself. You know, leaders have to take Mm -hmm. care of themselves so they can take care of their teams so that their teams can take care of their customers so their customers can buy their products. And it all is circular and it starts with you and how you show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too, when you talked about productive companies, one of those energy states being productive, Mm -hmm. and I think this is a very doing good business point to make is, um, you know, there's the collaboration, right? The stronger team, they perform better. They also have a greater sense of community and commitment mm-hmm. to the company's shared goals. And I think that's a really defining characteristic of a company that's doing good business, i.e. Yep. a company that will be successful in the long term as we move forward. And that's not something, it may be informal in a lot of organizations. I know a lot of really great companies that don't really think of it that way, but they have that. Um, but this is about formalizing more of that and really bringing that to the forefront where there's a real sense of community um, and identity with with the brand that they're working Mm -hmm. with. Yep. Totally agree. Or buying from. So I'm going to step down off my, uh, off my self-leadership, you know, self-care, manage your energy soapbox and uh, say, Kelly, do you, do you want to talk to us about the exercise? Cause I'm pretty excited about this. (laughs) I do. And I'm so excited that you're excited. This is great. So um, thank you for teeing all that up because that is super important. And, um, you know, so when you have your own, again, Laura, Laura said it, you have a sense, right? That's part of your responsibility or your role as a leader. You have to have some type of intuitive sense of what's going on in your organization. And it seems obvious why organizations would want to improve their energy, right? Um but it takes work. And I think that's why it's not always done. So as often is our way in contemporary society these days, people are still really focusing on the what's missing, what's broken. So I found a great article that we're going to link into, um, or we'll link in the show notes. 
and it was, um, I forget exactly what the title is, but it'll be in the show notes. Uh, How toxic is your workplace exactly? So these are oh, six fun things. Time. Right, exactly. And it was only written like in, like about a year ago. But um, yeah. these are six things that could be happening in an organization that would make them toxic, which would be the opposite of having good organizational energy. Organization. This would fall into mm-hmm. the corrosive level, right? For sure. So one, and our dear audience, I, I do seriously hope you don't have all six of these, but you might identify <laughs> with some of them or identify them with them in varying degrees. But management only sees the bad, never the good. That's number one. Two, work-life balance is fictional nonsense. Three, bosses kiss up and kick down. Four, the workplace has turned into a hostile environment. Five, the rumor mill is in full gear. And six, there's brutal internal competition. And one of the reasons why I wanted to share this article was not only for that just kind of uh, grounding uh, list of of toxic symptoms, but because he also he also includes some things that you can do some resources and ideas he has if you are in an organization that is really exhibiting most or all of those to a great degree. So please check that out if if you are in that type of uh, workplace. But really, what we're talking about is how do you change that? What will an emerging or a currently transformational leader do if you're in that organization? Maybe it's a new job you just started. Maybe there's new leadership or there's old leadership that needs to leave and <laughs> no one's told them that yet. You know, So what can you really do to turn it around? And so I thought for a fun exercise, let's just take each of those because again, I'm hoping that you're not involved in that um, to this degree, but let's just see what we could do if we were applying our do-good doing good business hat. So the first one was management only sees the bad, never the good. Has anyone ever worked for a company like that? Probably. So the opposite of that would be management sees the good and room for improvement. And Laura, I know you talk about this, right? This is, you know, like a a 360 degree feedback type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. because in a different context, right? It's not, it's not just saying my only job as a leader is not to see just the bad. My my job as a leader is to see what's working and mm-hmm. identify areas for improvement. Would you yeah, agree? Yeah, and so one of my, a hundred percent, one of my probably my current favorite management style book is called Radical Candor, and they talk about you know they actually just released a new edition which I have not gotten my hands on yet, but it's got a new chapter or segment on feedback and really specific. And mm-hmm. one of the principles in the book is you know feedback has to be immediate and it has to be specific and it has to be direct. So I don't want to come to you and say, Hey, Cal, good job on those season one episodes. Well, like, okay, that's, that's fine, but that doesn't really mean anything. What I might want to say to you is like, you know what, Kelly, I really liked that episode on fear and I liked what you said here, blah, 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 blah. And it was so well researched that that really helped me be able to, you know, look at how my organization mm-hmm. might be showing up in a fear-based way. So I want to be specific about it and I want to ideally mm-hmm. give it to you right after. But, you know, a, a 360 is another way to get a data point. And, you know, the reason that that I do them in organizations and why organizations ask me to come in and do them is because none of us can see our own blind spots. And the advantage to right. a 360 is you get the 
data from, you know, not only your leaders, who you probably, hopefully, are getting feedback from already, but also from your peers, also from your team and those below you. And sometimes even you'll get it from, you know, partners and people that are close to you in your personal life. Like there's different uh, ways that organizations would administer them, but you really get out of that blind spot and get to see much more information so that you can see the good things that you're doing and also see your areas of, of opportunity and areas for improvement. Absolutely. And I think that the identifying the, the room for improvement, you know, people talk about the feedback sandwiches, right? Like you give the good thing, mm-hmm. the thing you want to improve, and then the good thing. But I think it's more than that. I think there's a term that we use um, on, through the Conversations Worth Having program and the source strategies, mm-hmm. feed forward. And it's exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. I really liked what you did. This is how it helped me. And in the future, I'd like to see this, right? So yeah. you're giving them some type of very specific, you know, here's how it could be made better from my perspective, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that that is empowering to someone to say, oh my God, you're like, well, good, let's revisit it. We'll do it in season three and we're going to add that on, right. you know? So yep. there's lots of good. So when you when you just take this first one, toxic, management only sees the bad, never the good, and we flip it to management sees the good and room for improvement. And we talk about finding different ways to do this. We're talking about probably the beginning of an overhaul of your performance evaluation system. Mm -hmm. But that's a good thing, right? Because I love that. Yeah. And I am seeing that so much. There's such a shift in the market now, like from, Ah. you know, performance reviews were happening once a year and that Uh, was it. And it was like the review cycle and you saw all going to the gallows. Yeah, they would like hole up and be like, I can't do anything. I have to do my performance use what you're starting to see. And there's tools out there. Um, You know, Marks Buckingham has a tool and he's owned by ADP now, which is the last corporate job that I had. But it's a very interesting take on performance reviews. And it's all about, you know, really short weekly weekly Mm check-ins and it's strengths-based. All of his uh, stuff is strengths-based. But you're doing a weekly, really short little check-in, but you're self-reporting and then you're having a very quick meeting with your leader. So there's the whole concept is that there should never be any surprises. Like you shouldn't, first of all, only get feedback once a year. You should get it consistently, but also you shouldn't sit down and get anything that you're not surprised about, nor should your leader be surprised. You know, it's a way for everybody to keep the conversation flowing bi-directionally and for everybody Mm. to be more productive and be on the same page. So there were some really cool trends in performance management that are are starting to shift beyond the old, you know, oh, it's annual review time, it's January, it's your reviews or the, you know, anniversary right. reviews. And, and I just think that it's great to see things like that shifting. And this is what it's all about, right? Because transformational leadership means the plays from the old playbooks aren't mm-hmm. as effective as our market, as our workplaces change and become more diverse mm-hmm. and we have more better tools for, for giving feedback. So I love that example. So number two, let's see what we can do with this one. Work-life balance is fictional nonsense. That's the toxic culture. So that would the opposite so of that. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so work-life balance is real. And that's the opposite of that. So we, as the business leader, you can say we walk our talk and you see evidence of it here in our policies, right? So we know that, but also in our practices. So if work-life balance is real, there has to be written policies that support that, but there also have to be in the moment, real life practices where people see it being done. And the best I can Mm -hmm. think about that is, Laura, you and I have someone, and I'm going to build the suspense and keep it a secret, who's going to be Uh our guest in June. And we were doing an um, email exchange with her and her, an administrative assistant who manages her calendar, 
to find a date to, to talk. And it turned out that her assistant was had to be offline for, you know, personal reasons. And this woman actually removed her from the email thread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a practice that says yep. work life balance matters here. And mm-hmm. you are not to be concerned with what we're sorting out while you're away. And I think when people are kept on that email thread, there's an implication that mm-hmm. you should somehow still be involved. And that completely negates the fact that, no, oh, see, we have work-life balance. It's written in our policy. Mm-hmm. Policy is good. <laughs> but you actually have to see it being practiced for it to make yes. sense. Yep. No, I totally agree with that. And that also looks like, you know, when you are the leader, whether you're the CEO or you're a manager, you're not emailing while you're on vacation and you're not emailing over the holidays. And because you're the one, you know, like I said in the beginning of this episode, your self-leadership is what sets the tone for the organization. And that's how you walk Mm -hmm. your talk. You know, you get to you get to set the precedent and say, like, yes, we have this policy and here's how I am abiding by it. You know, I have a friend that works for a company, um, the company that was on our panel in season one, Work Zone here mm-hmm. in the Philadelphia area, and they just implemented a new policy that requires everyone to take one full week of vacation time in a row. So you can't just take a couple days here, a couple days there. Oh, you have to nice. actually have a full week off Get that break mm-hmm. in the company. And then they're going to, I think that this is new this year, they're going to an unlimited vacation policy. So it's not, you know, based on level. And I have another friend that works at a a multinational corporation and at a certain level, I think it's director level and above, there isn't a PTO policy. It's the expectation that you have reached a level of your own leadership that you'll get your job done. And whether that means that you disconnect completely for, you know, two weeks or you check in, you know, once every other day, whatever that looks like, they trust their people enough to make that decision, but they walk their talk and they stand up for that policy. So see, I love that because you're getting that. I worked for a company years and years ago that I I wasn't with them long enough to to reach this, but they had some, I forget how many years it was, and you were, you were to have a one month sabbatical, but no one ever Ooh. took it because it was so busy. Gosh, I so it was. When we talked to yeah at your workshop like a couple of years ago, Kelly. I remember when we were talking to Sabrina and Greg back from Push Ten. Mm-hmm. Shout out to oh, uh, right. season yep. one. That was one of the things that they were considering that came out of the workshop that you did of the what if you could workshop right. and thinking about like, gosh, why don't we let people take a sabbatical after five years? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it really lets you recharge organizational energy, your own personal energy, right? It lets you fuel up with a lot of good things that let you come back and do your job better or differently or however you define that, but in mm-hmm. a way that, that gets you out of that comfort energy state and that resigned inertia state. So good stuff there. Lots of good tips. So I think, again, I'm not making light of the situation because I understand there are people working in these toxic cultures, but this is my, my number three is my favorite bosses kiss up and kick down. So laugh and laugh. It was just a great way. The way that is expressed, we all have a good, really good mental image of that. So what would the opposite be? The opposite. Well, so wait, Kelly. That, I have mm-hmm. to tell our I have to tell our listeners that when you and I were first talking before we were recording, I was like, "So what's the opposite? Kiss down and kick up? No, I'm gonna let Kelly handle this one because not. Nope, not so correct. close, Laura. So close, I know, real close. Um, <laughs> what it would be really is the opposite of that. Would that bosses authentically manage from the middle? And this is a concept that if you haven't heard of it yet, start taking note of it because you're going to see more of it. The most effective 
i.e. transformational leaders today, are the ones who can still manage up, right? They're, they're not mm-hmm. kissing up, but they're managing up. They're reporting right. into maybe that executive leadership team or the board or whomever they have to do that with. But they are also actively, actively engaging everyone else on their team because they realize there are things I could not possibly know. I cannot stay up on all of this and I have to rely on my team members to bring me good information, to bring me novel insights, things that we can use. And I need to be curious and I need to seek counsel from people at all stages of their careers and all levels of responsibility. And this really is tailor-made, Laura, to to what you help people do is to really, and we've talked about this before, we talked about it in February, challenge your assumptions, you know, that whole Mm -hmm. empathy angle of it, you know, bring more kindness into what you're doing because Mm -hmm. kissing up and kicking down doesn't sound like being kind at all. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's a real opportunity there for that. And I love this concept of managing from the middle because there are too many things. It was, you know, 15 years ago, I was already getting the sense that you can't really be a jack of all trades. And I was thinking of this, of course, at the organizational level, right? You can't just be the the global marketing. And if you are global marketing, and I don't mean global from like the globe, but I mean that whole spectrum of services, you have to have areas of expertise within that company then that covers that full spectrum. Somebody who's an expert at SEO and search and, you know, paid advertising, somebody who's an expert at copywriting, somebody who's an expert at, um, well, I just went completely blank, but, you know, the the creative (laughs) and the strategy and the analytics and all of that. So, but there was a time pre-internet, for those who remember it, that you really could be a jack of all trade and you can't do that anymore. And I think that now business leaders are finally understanding that. Team leaders are understanding that. You can't know it all. It's all changing too fast. So manage Mm -hmm. from the middle. And um, that's a good way to get started on it. Number four, the workplace has turned into a hostile environment. So the opposite of that is the workplace is full of positive energy. And this is exactly Mm. what we're giving you good ideas on how to make that happen just in kind of going through this list of six. But you have to define that for your organization in the markets and the industries that you serve, right? Because that's going to look different if you make pacemakers versus if you um, sell clothes, you know. So Mm -hmm. it's a very different type of a thing. You have to define it. And that's why I can't wait to talk to Lisa in our next episode because they do so much around employee engagement and bolstering that energy. So I know she's going to have a lot of good ideas for us on that. And then number five, the rumor mill is in full gear. And <laughs> we know that's a symptom of a toxic culture, right? Like I know you're yeah. like, I'm laughing too, because that's why I say it funny. The rumor mill, because we've all been there. We've seen that happen. And I've always thought of that and, and have had to counsel people on this is when you talk about the company, you are starting an independent communications campaign in your organization. Mm right? Sanctioned or not. And in the case of the rumor mill, not sanctioned, right? So if you were a business leader and you saw this, the opposite of the rumor mill then would be that independent communication campaigns are positive and reinforce the company's values. So to do that, they have to have business leaders who are 
sharing their stories about what they do, the decisions that they make. Again, uh, so much of this has to be seen. It's not enough anymore to say it's just written someplace, you know, go to page 87 in our policy manual, sub paragraph eight, subsections, you know, four in Roman numerals. Um, You have to really be able to be out there and as a business leader, creating your own campaigns, your own communications and showing people, this is how we talk about things here. This is how we solicit advice. This is how our ethical decision-making is done in this organization. Mm -hmm. And then that's the type of rumor, right, that spreads yep. in the independent campaigns that other people can share. Because at that point, you're, you're taking it from rumor mill to storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, one I think way like, to really take that toxic culture and flip it into something positive. I think mindfulness is such a big component of that one, because really, if mm-hmm. you're mindful of what you're saying and how you're saying it and the energy that you're bringing to mm-hmm. a conversation, a situation, a room, whatever, then you can actually impact it. You know, I always say to my clients, your power lies in the moment between action and response. And what we want to do is be able to respond instead of react. And when you are mindful of what you're about to say and to whom you're about to say it, you can then be mindful of your energy and you can move it towards that positive energy that you want to have in the organization. You know, the rumor mill can be a source for good and not that we want to encourage, Mm -hmm. you know, rumors and talking behind people's backs. But if you're going to say, you know, what's the old you know, added, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, you know, exactly. Everybody needs to vent. And, and if and the silence is deafening in, in your organization, that right. you might not have an active that's rumor, but that's also, you know, it's an indicator mm-hmm. of where your organizational energy is. Yeah. Right. Right. And everyone needs to vent. And that's a really important part of being a leader and being a good performer. And you have to be able to do that in a place that's confidential. You know, you have to you need to be able to vent to your leader and know that they're going to keep it confidential or you need to vent to your coach or to your partner mm-hmm. or to your friend or to whomever. The place to do that is not to your peers. It's not certainly not to your team and it's not in a public setting. So really just incorporating some mindfulness into, you know, what mm-hmm. am I about to say? Is it going to have a good impact? And if not, where can I go that is safe and is confidential to blow off some steam so that I can get, you know, again, back to the energy that right. I want to bring? Yep. And as a leader, I think, you know, you're looking for this strategic opportunity, right? And that's why, you know, Mm -hmm. there's two sides to every coin, right? So if we flip that rumor mill and just say, hey, we're, we're going to work in an organization where people willingly walk around and tell good stories about what's happening. And it starts here with me. And I think, you know, that's what you're saying. Right. It's, it starts with the individual and then it, that will trickle down to where employees then are sharing good stories with other employees mm-hmm. and vendors. Oh, this is a great place to work. Or, uh, we're going to help you work that out because I know, you know, we really value working with you as a, a vendor or a supplier. And I've, I've, I've seen how this works in other scenarios in my company. So you've got that level of comfort of saying, we're going to make this right, or, you know, we're going to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And another point that you made in that too, it's a choice, right? All of this are, these are choices, right? Mm -hmm. Your toxic culture is not immovable. You can choose to do differently. And that always makes me think about um, dear old Robin Williams and, and his movie, Good Morning Vietnam, right? To start mm. that broadcast, there you are. I mean, people are, it's really, it's heavy and there's, you know, so much at stake there. And to start those broadcasts off with good morning Vietnam, you know, like that energy is just there yep. and, and the choice in how you say it and, yep. and it can really influence. So enough about that. Last number six, there's brutal 
internal competition, right? And so I fundamentally believe that cooperation at all levels inspires healthy competition. And those who know me best know I am not an athlete. I'm not even anything remotely resembling an athlete. So my sports analogy might be off a little bit, but I think about this as intramural sports, right? Where it is a little bit more collegial. There's competition and that's in the spirit of we'll grow, we'll learn, right? But we're not out to crush our internal competition, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I'll mix my analogies, we all eat off of the same dinnerware, which was something Mm -hmm. I heard someone say about a very large multinational organization. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just thought, yeah, that really resonated with me. At the end of the day, your company is one organization, think of it as a family, uh, you know, a, a trusted institution, however you think of it. But there is that shared sense of community in there, right? And so intramural sports are great. Crushing your competition is not. So then what would that look like? If you want this environment where there is this kind of collegial competition because that spurs growth, then what do your sales incentives look like? Um, right. Because let's just say it's it's in the sales department, right? Again, what do not only your policies look like, but what do your practices look like? What supports can you be giving to people who maybe need coaching, right? Maybe they're just a little too competitive (laughs) and you Mm -hmm. need to channel that energy. And there are lots of people who could be maybe not as competitive, but they're effective in other areas. And how can you bring those two together? Which reminds me of a great example um, that I read in in Conversations Worth Having, a book that um, I use in a lot of my work because the framework is wonderful for it. But there was a bank that was... um, they had new leadership brought in to the bank and there was someone who opened accounts very quickly, but didn't always get all of the information and build the relationship with the new customer. And there was someone else who opened a fewer number of accounts, but had very deep relationships with the people she was bringing into the bank. And so what the, the new leadership did was they brought them together and said, hey, you do this great and there's room for improvement here and you have just the opposite. Could the two of you work together and share your best practices with those things? And at the end of the next month, both of those gaps had closed. Each person had you know, been able to then the person who was opening accounts quickly learn more about making the relationship. The person had the relationship open more accounts. Uh, that is so cool. Right. That is so it cool. It seems too obvious, right? What a great so, solution. Um, and I think of it like from the individual leadership perspective, think about what a time-saving, cost-saving, you know, we always talk yeah. about like doing good business is not possible. It's not only possible, it's also profitable. So as a leader, like mm-hmm. you're not individually counseling both of those people. You're taking people who are, you know, yin and yang and one has a yeah. great skill in one area and one has it in another and they are kind of opposites and you're letting them learn from each other. So you're not only encouraging collaboration, but you're being a really effective streamline, you know, in the days of Lean Six Sigma, like that's a lean way to really Mm -hmm. up-level people's skills in a really powerful way. Yep. Love it. So again, these are just, there are six things that we just took and ran through that. And again, truly hoping that you're not in a, in such a toxic environment that these really, really resonate with you. um, And you can't see your way out of it, in which case I encourage you to reach out to Laura or myself. Let's, let's talk about those things. But um, you know, if you, 
see shades of any of these things mm-hmm. or one or two of them in your organization, we just went through some ways that you can really just start by in flipping it to envision what's the opposite of that? What do I do want? And then how am I going to get there? And that's going to raise the, the energy in your organization when if you were to do any one of these things, you're going to raise yep. the, the level of energy in your organization when done well. Oh, that's my yes. persistent caveat, comma, when done well. <laughs> when done well. And when done with intention. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, I'm a big nerd, and I had a lot of fun doing that exercise, Kelly. And I have a feeling that our, our audience is a lot like you and I, and hopefully that provided some insight. And, you know, if nothing else, it's a, a good lesson in what not to do. And, you know, bookmark this guy for when you notice one of those things in your organization and you need to hear how to reframe it and look at things from the opposite perspective. So. Thank you for that. I think it was fun. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Awesome. So we are, as we mentioned a couple times, our next episode in a couple weeks is going to be with Lisa Sordia, who is the vice president of HR for Energage, as their name implies. They have a lot to do with energy. We'll continue our theme of organizational energy. And uh, next month, we're going to make it funny and we're going to talk about humor. So if you didn't start your year with disruption and empathy, make sure you go back and catch our January and February episodes and amazing guests. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with Lisa from Energage. Have an amazing, amazing start of your March. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business, designed to bring out the best in you and your company. We welcome your reviews and ratings and would love to hear from you. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions through our online form at doinggoodbusiness.com. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting for all of your coaching and talent acquisition needs, and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you incorporate the social business paradigm into your company. Learn more about us and our respective services at the Doing Good Business website. Thanks again for listening and remember to expect good things from everything you do.